anyhow, we're going to continue with our Christmas at Home series, talk about part two today. And, and this is what I want to talk about, and this is one of my favorite subjects, so here's the deal. I'm going to preach, and I'm going to get real happy preaching, and you can be happy with me, or you don't have to. Oh, oh, thank you. I forgot something. I know y'all are shocked that I forgot something. Does this feel extra loud to y'all? Yeah, bump that down a little bit. That's going to get loud when I get excited, but... Probably should have left it loud for this announcement so everyone hears this. Uh, I know so. Thank you, George. <laughs> so I know some of y'all saw that we were having a all-church Christmas party on Wednesday the 20th. Don't get too excited because it's canceled. <laughs> we are canceling that party. We will not be having that party. We will not be having service on Wednesday the 20th. So I want you to repeat after me. We will not be having service. Listen, every single one of y'all just got a mark off for follows directions. That was horrible. So let's do it slower. We will not be having service on Wednesday the 20th of December. Okay, so if you, sh if you show up, you will be alone or with anybody else who forgets and shows up. We will also send out emails this week, and we will send an update in the app. You say, why are you going to do that? Because people will still forget. That's why. So anyhow, now I can continue. Thank you, sweetheart. I can't think of anything else I forgot. It was a profound statement, wasn't it? I can't remember anything else I forgot. Listen, you don't, you don't get those kind of statements everywhere. But we're going to talk about my identity is secure at home. We're going to talk about identity. And, and I, was, I was thinking through, as I was preparing for these sermons on, on Christmas at home, I was thinking through growing up and, and being at home and the things that I felt at home. And I always felt like I was a part of the family when I was at home. I always knew who I was when I was at home. You know what I mean? You get out in the world, you're school, you're with all your friends, you're trying to do all that stuff, but I always knew exactly who I was when I was at home. And my dad made sure to, to let me know that, especially when I misbehaved. No, when I misbehaved, listen, I, I, can, I can close my eyes and hear my dad say, son, my son doesn't act that way in public. And, and he meant it. And if I forgot it, he would reinforce that to me in a way that I would remember. But I knew that there was a position that I had when I was at home, and, and it, it felt good to belong. How many of y'all know that the entirety of what God did in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was to establish our identity? See, now, now a, lot of times, a lot of people are like, well, oh, that's making too much of a big deal about man. All the crucifixion was about man. Everything God did in the plan of redemption was about man. How many of y'all know Jesus didn't need to be redeemed? God didn't need to be redeemed. The Holy Spirit didn't need to be redeemed. Rick needed to be redeemed. So the entire focus of what God did through Christmas, through the Easter story, it was all directed toward you and I. 
It's not egotistical to say that we're that important to God. He proved it. He proved it. And I get so tired of people in the church world saying, well, you know, we, we, we just got to make sure we walk, continue walking in humility. Most people don't even know what humility is. Humility is not walking around with your head held down like you're a nobody. Humility is knowing who you are and why you are that and because of who. See, I am who I am in Christ, not because of me, but because of him. But for me to walk around with my head hung down is like saying, what you did wasn't good enough, God. The focus of heaven was making man back into sons and daughters of God. That was the whole focus. And we let the enemy talk us out of what's rightfully ours. Well, you're just thinking too much of yourself. I will never think more of myself than God thinks of me. I will never, ever think higher of myself than God thinks of me. The Bible tells me that he rejoices over me with singing, that God dances over me. I have never sung over myself. I've never danced over myself. I'm not the apple of my eye. I'm the apple of his eye. Listen, when I'm at home, I know, I knew, I knew my parents were proud of me. They were proud of me sometimes when they shouldn't have been. They claimed me when I wouldn't have claimed me. I'm at home in the kingdom of God. I have a home, and my God is proud of me. He's proud of you. Oh, we're going to preach. Romans 8, 15 in the Amplified says this, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear, the fear of God's judgment, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. The spirit producing sonship by which we joyfully cry, Abba, Father. I love verse 16. This is my favorite. My favorite part of this. The Spirit himself testifies. The Spirit himself testifies and confirms together with our spirit, assuring us that we believers are children of God. I love that it says we're no longer slaves. We're sons. And we we call him Abba or Daddy in that familiar term of love and acceptance. But it says, the way we know it. And I'm going to tell you something. You can wrestle with your identity as long as you want to. And you will always wrestle with it until you allow the Holy Spirit to confirm to you. Do you know you will never be able to convince yourself you're a child of God? Boy, I got quiet. Because, boy, we work hard at it. That's how things tie, that's how works is always tied into religion. You want to know where works has always been tied into a religious mindset? If I can do good enough, then I can be a son of God. So I'm just going to go ahead and and just, just, just put you at ease today and tell you, you will never do good enough. You will never do or be good enough to be a child of God. And so the longer that you attempt it, All that will happen is you will grow more and more frustrated with the failures of your efforts. 
I've watched people who have been saved for years who do not understand who they are and what they have in Christ. Because they're so stuck on the idea that I'm not good enough. We, none of us are good enough. So the only way that you can ever understand your position is it has to be confirmed to you. There has to be a moment of confirmation where you know that you know that you know. See, I know I screw up on the regular. But none of that changes the fact that I'm a son of God. Because I didn't make me one. So watch this statement. The Holy Spirit confirms my identity. No one other than the Spirit of God has a right to qualify or disqualify me regarding my identity. You can't tell me I'm not good enough to be a son of God. You can't tell me I am good enough. I can't tell myself that I'm not good enough. It is confirmed to me by the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of me. He is the one telling me, stand up, lift your head, mighty man of God. Lift your head, son of God. Walk into the inheritance that you've been given. And there will always be something there in the presence of the Holy Spirit telling you that you are more than. See, your head tries to tell you you are less than, but your spirit will try to tell you, no, that's not true. That's not true. That's not accurate. I know that I am more than a conqueror. I know that I am a child of God. But that confirmation doesn't come from what I think. It doesn't come from how I feel. Your feelings will lie to you. Listen, I can't tell you how many times in my life since I've been saved, since I've been a pastor, that I didn't feel worthy. Oh, well, if you're a son, you ought to always feel worthy. No, 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 no. A son or daughter is not how you feel, it's who you are. See, we have to get beyond thinking it's how we feel to knowing it's who we are. Why are you a son or a daughter? Because you were born that way. Alex is Terry Farrington's son. Because he was born from Terry Farrington's seed. And nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. Even if he doesn't feel like it. Even if he gets mad at his daddy. Even if he don't want to hang around his daddy. Even if he don't like his daddy. Even when his daddy don't like him. <laughs> because he was born See, I have a position at home because I was born to one. You may have been born one thing, but you were reborn. You were born with no standing, but you were reborn the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 17, and if we are his children, watch this now. 
then we are also his heirs. How are you going to be an heir of God and live like we live sometimes? We'll get into that a little more in a minute. Let me read it. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs. Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his spiritual blessing and inheritance, if indeed we share in his suffering, so that we may also share in his glory. And I'm, I'm, fixing, to, I'm fixing to pull apart for you the most misaligned, messed up scripture that you've ever, that you ever heard. We have to share in his suffering. Let me tell you something. That is where you get the stupid idea of I'm suffering for Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that's a stupid idea. That's a stupid idea. You're not suffering for Jesus. Jesus don't need you to suffer. What you going to do? Let's just go ahead and dive into this. What, what, what good would it do if Alex was suffering for Jesus? About what you get in Jesus. What are you doing for Jesus by suffering? Does he need your help? Does he need anything you have? Is your suffering going to bring you close to God? I got a few people that are listening. What does it mean? If we suffer with him, we will also share in his glory. Through the crucifixion of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection, we have suffered with him. If we have accepted that sacrifice, come on now. If we've accepted that sacrifice, the scripture tells us we've been crucified with Christ. Not you're going to be crucified with Christ, but you have been crucified with Christ. The entire process of the new birth is a death process, a burial process, and then a resurrection process that brings about what? New life. So we have already suffered with him. In the body of Jesus, we who have accepted that sacrifice have suffered with him. There's not more suffering you're going to do in order to share his glory. You've either suffered with him or you have not. Oh, come on now. I'm preaching good here. I'm preaching good here because this takes away that whole stupid idea of, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus. I'm just going through it right now. Listen, there are times in our life, listen to me real closely. There are times in our life where we will go, with, go through things so that God can ultimately be glorified. Listen to me. There are times you will go through things in your life so that when God gets the glory and people see what he has done, he will be, made, he will be magnified through some difficulties. But you're not suffering for him. The only man to ever suffer for God was Jesus. Because that suffering means to have gone to the grave. So if you've gone to the grave, and if you haven't, there's only one way to go to the grave. And that's through the acceptance of what Jesus did. So watch this. Through his crucifixion, we have shared Christ's suffering. Therefore, we are partakers of his glory and have been placed in the standing of joint heir. Oh, come on. Come on. We have a joint inheritance with Christ that was paid for through our Savior's precious blood. What does it mean to be an heir? What does it mean to be an heir? 
The word air is found right in the middle of another word. Say it loud for everybody here. Inheritance. So as an heir, there is an inheritance. So my question is, is my life right now a reflection of God's inheritance? Do I look like I have inherited the things that God has? Come on now, but we are heirs. Joint heirs with Jesus. We'll go a little farther and find out where we've been seated. Where our identity places us. So if I am his heir, it stands to reason that I am to receive things. There's a privilege to being an heir. And an inheritance can't take place until a death occurs. There has to be a death that occurs in order for the inheritance to be released. So upon the death of Jesus on the cross and the the cleansing of our sin and the new birth, it released an inheritance. See, I'm going to tell you something else, and we'll get to this in just a minute. But stop, stop, stop putting off your inheritance till heaven. Stop it. Stop saying, well, you know, in the sweet by and by. Do you know every single person I know believes in the abundant, unbelievable blessing of God? Most of them just put it in heaven. How do you know that? They'll tell you about the streets of gold, walls of jasper, foundations of gems. Listen, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to need no gold, but I could use some down here. Come on now, I'm preaching you the truth. We all believe it. Everybody believes it. We tell our kids about it. Man, where where heaven there is no gates. Pearls make up the gates of heaven. Giant pearls. But let somebody preach to you and tell you that God wants you blessed, that God wants you wealthy, that God wants you to prosper, and they will label them a heretic. What makes them a heretic? That it's on this side of death? Oh, come on now. I, listen, I can walk this route. I've done this with a bunch of people. Say, I don't believe in that blessing stuff. I don't believe in prosperity. You a liar. You believe in it. You just believe that you got to die to get it. You believe you got to die to get it. Oh, man. My inheritance started when Jesus died on the cross for my sin and brought me into the family of God. All right, let's dig. Watch this. Watch this. Yeah. Told you I'm going to preach myself happy. I ain't even got where I'm going yet. Galatians 4 and 4, but when God's plan, the proper time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the regulation of the law. So that he might redeem and liberate those who are under the law and that we who believe might be adopted as sons, as God's children, with all the rights as fully grown members of a family. I want you to see this. The securing of your position in the family of God had an appointed time. God is is very big on purposeful things. 
So there was a specific time that he chose to send Jesus so he could secure our position in the kingdom. You say, why does that matter? Because it's that important to God. Man, listen, this has been so undertaught in the church of Jesus Christ. There are generations of people who miss this teaching that I'm talking about this morning. And they have lived below their privilege and they have done without and they have gone without. Because nobody would tell them the truth and tell them that it was so important to God that you walk in your position in the kingdom that he had an appointed time when it would happen. And wouldn't send Jesus until that appointed time. Was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth, but it was so crucial in the heart of God to bring men and women back into the position of daughters and sons. That the entire focus of heaven, all through the Old Testament, you just see story after story that is leading up to the, to the, the manifestation of the Messiah with a job, and that job was to repurchase. I mean, this whole, oh, come on now, this whole book points to a time when God would buy back sons and daughters. And we spend all of our time and we're all this effort focused on heaven and God is focused on earth. Oh, when we get there, what do you got to get there for? Boy, some people just get messed up with this. You see it on their face. Oh, I don't know. Uh, listen, you better get used to having something because you ain't going to like heaven if you don't. Man, there's a bunch of Christians that have gone to heaven. It was total culture shock for them. They went from driving around in a car that was held together by Christian bumper stickers to walking on streets of clear gold. That had to be a change. You think that wasn't a shock? Walking around thinking it was humility to not have nothing and not be able to help nobody because they didn't have nothing. To getting up there and walking into the, into the door of their mansion. The concrete up there is precious gems. Clear gold asphalt. They had to be like... I don't want to be that. I don't want to look like the redneck at the opera. I mean, there's some folks going to roll up in heaven, and that's what they're going to look like. They're going to look like the hillbilly at the art museum. I'm telling you, man. They're going to walk in there and not... I'm not, I'm not trying to do that, Brother Floyd. I don't want to be shocked when I walk up there and the gates are made out of giant pearls. He's like, well, God don't care about that. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When he gave instructions for how to build, how to build his temple, the walls were overlaid with solid gold. 
God likes being in and around beautiful things. Look at the creation that he made. This whole idea of just, you know, well, you know, God don't care about that. If he didn't, why would he plant his house on earth? Did he make it look like he made it look? Listen, they had so much stuff coming to build the temple that they had to tell the people, don't bring no more. Stop it. Quit bringing stuff. All right. I got to go. Verse 5 said that, so that he might redeem and liberate those who were under the law, that we who believe might be adopted as what? Sons. As God's children with what? All rights as fully grown members of a family. See, you did not get a, a subpar inheritance. You're not a partial kid. Says you're not, you're not a part of the family and you're still a child. Because see, Asher and Eliana are a part of the family, but they don't have full rights. You know why? They're five months old and two years old. And so while they are an heir and they're a part of the family, they don't have full-grown rights. But it says Jesus purchased our freedom that we might have. See, I'm a full-grown member of the family. I'm not waiting for my, come on, now you got to listen. I'm not waiting on my inheritance. Galatians 4 tells us this. He says, listen, at the time when we were underage, we were nothing more than a slave. But when we grew to that place of full maturity, we are given everything that belongs to us as our inheritance. Oh, listen, there's a bunch of folks like, one day in the sweet by and by, I'm going to inherit mine. All right, baby. You want to walk around being an infant who can't have nothing, but I'm not that. I'm a full-grown member. I'm a full-grown member of the family. Oh, come on now. Y'all got to hear that. Oh, well, one day, one day, one day I'm going to get there. One day, if I just hang on, I'm going to get there. Oh, we're going to learn something about eternal life today. So watch this. Your position was legally purchased, and it is marked by liberty and the rights of a family member. If you're, if you're not walking in freedom, and you're not walking in the rights that you have inherited, then you're not really walking in what Jesus purchased. You got to stop believing that he simply purchased your freedom from hell and recognize he purchased your freedom to be a part of the family of God. You weren't saved from something, you were saved to something. I don't want my Savior to have hung on a tree, taken on the sin of the world, had God have to turn his back on him so that I can live below what he paid for. Paul in Galatians 2, in verse 21, he says, I won't frustrate the grace or the favor of God by counting Jesus' sacrifice to none effect. Let's break that down a minute. He said, I won't frustrate God's favor by acting like what Jesus did on the cross was not enough for me to walk in the favor of, come on now. 
If I say, I, listen, I, I walk around looking for favor. I expect it. When I get up in the morning, I expect favor to fall on me. I was in a jewelry store this week. And I had, I had bought a watch for a, a good friend of mine and I'd given it to him. And apparently the, the, the jewelry store did not have my phone number, the correct phone number. So I was in there with Jana and she was looking for a, a Christmas gift for somebody. And I was talking to the lady and she asked, she said, did you buy such and such a watch here? I said, I did. She said, I got a gift card for you. We owe you money. I said, well, okay. And I'm like, ah, you know, she said, it's like the difference in some tax or difference in something. And I'm like, I told John, I said, it's probably $10. The lady come back, it was a gift card for $178. She's like, I've been looking for you since September. I, I expect that to happen. You know why? Because Jesus paid the price for me to be in God's favor. People are like, ooh, look, I got a good parking spot. Lucky me. That ain't luck, that's favor. Amen. Why? That's just, they, they, you know, I think, you know when, God, when God lets me get that perfect parking spot, I just pull right into it. You know what I know? I mean, he's watching my day. Amen. No, y'all ain't, you ain't, if you ain't got it, you ain't got it. If you don't get it, you don't get it. I know that God is watching over my day. Because he's like, here, son, enjoy. Amen. Enjoy. Because I won't frustrate the grace of God by not walking in the fullness of the favor and saying, well, you know, oh, man, I, I got to go there, so I'm just going to say it. When I try to work my way into favor, what I'm saying is my works are better than Jesus' sacrifice. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that my ability to do it it's better than the sacrifice Jesus hung on the cross for. Oh, I would never say that. But we do. But we do. I can't discount what he did. And when I say, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I'm not that. I'm a saint of God. Made righteous by the blood of Jesus. I don't wear the label sinner anymore because I'm not one. I'm not one. Verse 6 in Galatians 4. And because you are really his sons, God has, spent the, has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore... You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then also an heir through the gracious act of God through Christ. Watch this now. He says, you can't be a slave and a son. But if you're a son, then you're, come on, then you're an heir. No, 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 we ain't getting that. I can't be a son or daughter of God unless I'm willing to be an heir. Because the, the legal position of son or daughter also makes you. And you can't be an heir without an inheritance. 
So I can walk around saying I, I, I'm a son of God, but I don't deserve this. No, 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 you, you can't. You can't be a son or daughter of God without acknowledging that you deserve the fruit. I know this is hard for some of y'all to swallow, but I'm still reading to y'all. Listen, I got my amens from Brother Floyd back there. I'm okay. As long as I'm getting my amens, I'm going to keep rolling. I can't claim sonship and refuse my inheritance. I can't claim sonship and tie my inheritance to what I do or don't do. You're in the will. Oh, come on now, watch this. Oh, well, one day, you're right. One day, Pastor Johnny, I'm just going to have streets of gold. Do you know that the will is not enforced when you die? It's enforced when the holder of the inheritance... When the holder of the inheritance dies is when the will is enforced. That's why it says we're joint heirs with who? Jesus. He was the holder of the inheritance, and it is dispersed upon his death, not upon my death. If it took natural death for me to inherit what God has, it would mean that the devil was responsible for me receiving my inheritance. Because natural death is, an, is something that was brought about by sin. I'm preaching better than y'all responding. I'm no longer a slave, but rather a son. And as a son, I am also what? As a son, I am also a heir. You're going to leave here knowing this. You may choose you don't want to walk in it, but you're going to know it when you leave here. You have an inheritance that belongs to you. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this, But God, I love this verse, But God, being so very rich in his mercy because of his great love, his great and wonderful love, with which he loved us. Now watch this. Everything I'm fixed to read to you is not because of you. Oh, come on now. You gotta hear, you've got to hear this. Everything I'm fixing to read to you has nothing to do with you. I just read to you. Ephesians 2 and 4 it says, But God, so rich in his mercy, because of the great and wonderful love with which he loved us, he did something. And I'm going to tell you what he did. It doesn't say, But Jason... Because he worked real hard and did the best he possibly could do and went to Sunday school his whole life and been in church since he was knee-high to a grasshopper and quoted all the Bible scriptures they told him to quote in Sunday school and saw all the felt board lessons. It's not what it says. It's not what it says. Because God did a thing that we are not capable of. So watch this. But God being so very rich in his mercy because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved us, even when, I love the even wins, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sins, he made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ, for by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. 
Watch this. And he raised us up together with him. He raised us up together with him when we believed. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. And he did this. So I told you what he did. And now I'm going to tell you why he did it. Listen up now. This is important. God did it and there was a reason. He did this. So that in the ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable and unsurpassed riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus by providing our redemption. Now watch this, what God gave me. Our, our position is an elevated one. See, you can never walk in the fullness of what God has called you to until you lift your eyes up some. Until you recognize, not because of you, but because of him, we have been put in an elevated position. Listen, I'm special. I'm special. God made me that way. God elevated me. God put me in a, an elevated position. God put you in an elevated position. So you can walk around with your head hung down, trying to practice false humility. Or you can recognize that God made you elevated in Christ Jesus. So now watch this. Watch this. Our position is an elevated one. Our position comes with elevated perspective and elevated rewards. It means because of my position in him, I don't see things the same way that people who don't have that see them. Y'all know I can see more of what's going on in this room than any of y'all. You know why? Because I'm at an elevated position. I can see the very back rows. I can see the wall. I can see into the foyer because of an elevated position. So my position in him, God gave me an elevated position that comes with elevated perspective. You say, why does that matter? Because if I can see farther, then the circumstances I'm in don't affect me the same way. Y'all got to catch this. That position, that sonship, it means when I'm in the middle of a circumstance that is surrounding How many of y'all have ever been, and some of y'all are right now, in a circumstance that is surrounding you? And it's horrible. But sonship, being a son or daughter of God, has put us in an elevated, persp elevated perspective. Why does that matter? Because even when stuff's attacking us and coming against us, we see beyond that. Listen, I've been through some tough situations. I've been through some storms. But when I can look above the waves. And I know that I know that I know that there is a future. I'm talking to some people right now. You need to get your perspective be elevated. We're going to stay here just a minute because some folks need to hear this. You've got to allow yourself to see, have your perspective elevated to the position you've been given as a child of God. Because what you're seeing right now, that's not all there is to it. There is a beyond what you can see currently. That only the eyes, listen to me, that only the eyes of a son or daughter can see. See, the enemy hates this. 
He hates the idea of you having the perspective of those son or daughter eyes because you know that the expected outcome, that the end is good, that God has made it good. And you can see beyond what's around you. It comes with elevated rewards. Listen, man, I'm I'm going to drink from the head of the stream. As a son and daughter of God, we have elevated rewards. We're supposed to drink from the head of the stream, not just what comes down. There should be an expectation of good things. I, I, listen, you're looking at a preacher who believes the people of God should have the best of everything. You know why? Because it is a representation of my God. It glorifies God. Don't ever apologize for having the best of something. You don't have to qualify why you have something really nice. Well, that was a gift. I don't care if you went out and bought it. Buy two of them and give one of them away. You shouldn't apologize for having the things that God blesses you with. Your position in God comes with elevated gifts. How many of y'all ever, do y'all, do y'all, uh, does it shock y'all when you see the, the, the royal family in England having nice things? Listen, we have people spend hours watching that stupid wedding. Someone asked, said, you going to watch a royal wedding? I said, absolutely not. I don't even know when it was. I didn't even know that it was, really. Be, oh, the royal wedding. And man, they listen, they spent gazillions of dollars on that thing, and nobody was shocked. They were all standing in amaze. Why? Well, they're royalty. Hey, guess what? There's this little thing in the Bible that says he is the king. He is the king of kings. So why is it we feel like we have to qualify when we have nice things? I intend to leave this earth with the best of everything. I don't want to be shocked when I walk into heaven and have it. Watch this. I'm going to hurry. I think I'm about done. Hang on. Oh, yeah, I'm done almost. Hang on. Our position comes with elevated perspective and elevated rewards. Jesus paid a price that we might live an exceptional life for all eternity. Now watch this. And that life begins the moment we accept Christ. 1 John says we have eternal life even now. Oh, now this is, this is, this is what I wanted to get for all you folks who are like, well, in the sweet by and by. Can I tell you this? You have eternal life right now. Eternal life does not begin when you get to heaven or hell. Do you know every person who walks on planet earth is an eternal being? We we make this mistake in believing that, and I'm going to teach y'all something real, real, y'all stay with me right here. 
We make the mistake in believing that what happened with Adam and Eve was that, that they made it where people die. Do you know the spirit of a human being does not ever die, will not ever die, cannot ever die because it was initially created by God? Death means it has two options. It can either be forever united with God or it can be forever separated from God. But every person in this room has an eternal inside. You will spend eternity somewhere. So when I accept Christ, I'm given what? Eternal life. That word life it is the Greek word zoe. Zoe translates to this, the quality of life that God enjoys. So at the moment you accept Christ, the, what you have for eternity is the life of God. So it doesn't start when you get to heaven. So why would the blessing of God start when you get to heaven? <gasps> yes. Look how much sense this makes when you look at it with the scripture. Everybody's like, I I'm going to heaven for all eternity. I've got eternal life. You, you, are, you are eternal. Whether you go to heaven or hell, you're eternal. Physical death is not a death. It is a, trans, it is, is a transition point. It's a transition point. You, you, the, the Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's a transition that takes place. And what does that transition look like? You either go into heaven for all eternity or you go into hell. But it's not like all of a sudden you die and that's all there is. There is a transition that takes place. All right, I got to hurry. For it is by grace, verse 8, for it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, i got to hurry for sure, drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, delivered from judgment, and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved gracious gift of God, verse 9, not as a result of your works nor your attempts to keep the law so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for their own salvation. Verse 10, probably, it's probably one of my top three or four favorite verses in all the New Testament. For we are his workmanship. We are his masterwork, a work of art created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and made ready to be used. For good works which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths with which he set so that we would walk in them, look at this, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. I got one more statement and I'm going to let y'all go. We're going to pray over the gifts and we're going to go deliver some hope to the families. Our position, watch this, is one that was created in Christ. No, no, you got to catch that. First time, first time God said that to me, I didn't catch it. No more than y'all caught it right there. Our position of son or daughter was created by God specifically for us in Christ. Now, you got to understand how important this is to God. He made you a position. There's a difference in the level of how special you are If someone just needs to fill a position, they'll grab somebody and put them in there 
And most people could do that. But when you find somebody that's special enough, that's loved enough, that you create them. Create them a position. Make one specifically for them to fulfill. And for specifically for them to fill. God made me a spot. Our position is one that was created in Christ. Look, we went from no position at all to a position that God chose to create only for mankind. In the creation of that position, watch this. Ah, I love this. In the creation of that position, he also prepared and established paths for us to lead to the exceptional kind of life that God called us to. Now watch this. When he made, when he created the position for you, he also established the paths. Oh, come on. When he made you as his masterpiece. When he created the position and he said, I'm going to put Randy in this position. He didn't just put you there. He put you there with the entirety of where you're supposed to walk, what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go. Laid out with a purpose life. At the, Ephesians 2 says to live the good life that he prearranged. Come on now, as a son and daughter, he didn't only build you a spot, but he laid out an exceptional, come on, an exceptional life. An exceptional life he made ready for us to live it. My inheritance, your inheritance, is an exceptional life. It's a life beyond anything anyone in this room is living. Well, you don't know how good I got it. I know you can have it better. I know you can have it better. You know why? Because ain't none of us quite got there yet. An exceptional life. Listen, church, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. I'm a son. I'm an heir. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I've been given joint seating with him in the heavenlies. At the right hand of authority. There's paths I'm supposed to walk. There's prearranged paths. There's purpose in front of me that I've got to walk through. There's purpose in front of you that God has put in that path. Provision, anointing, blessing, work he's called you to for the kingdom. Prearranged it all. He said, I made it all. Come on, that's the best thing about God. He made it all and he put you in it. You know why? told you a few weeks ago, God's ideal was the garden. He made a garden, and he put a man in it. He prearranged, oh, come on now. He prearranged, made paths, made them ready for you to live, and he said, okay, now that I got the spot made, some of y'all hearing this, and it's going to change your life. Some of y'all, you know, just sitting there looking at me like I'm crazy. It's okay. I've been looked that way all my life. <laughs> Ephesians 2 and 10 says, you were his masterpiece. And the best part about it is this. The spot he made... He made you to fit in it perfect. He ain't trying to force fit you in a spot you don't belong in. 